Thank you so much for. Um, yeah, if you don't mind, don't mind there. Thank you so much for coming over. I mean, I think I think it's going uh, to. Think it's really here. important. The lights are a little bit. Yeah, those are uh, a little bit blinding. It's early in the morning at least. How's the conference been? It's been good. Good. It's been good. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, my name is Stan Zlotsky from the Morgan Stanley Software Research Team. And uh, with us this morning, we have the pleasure of hosting uh, the, the Anaplan team. We have uh, uh, Frank Calderone, CEO, Dave Morton, CFO. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Um, so be before, we, before we uh, begin, please note that all important disclosures, including personal holdings disclosures, and Morgan Stanley disclosures appear in the Morgan Stanley public website at www.morganstanley.com slash research disclosures or at the registration desk. Um, so, gentlemen, um, Anaplan has been public for a little over a year now. Um, maybe, you know, give, Frank, give us a little bit of a, you know, the, the, the highlights, right? What, are you, what, what has really been exciting to you um, since you guys went public? So, first of all, good morning, Stan. Good morning. Good to be here. So the, you know, if I think back over the last year, uh, you know, coming into last year, I think we've built uh, some great traction within our business. Um, I've been with Anaplan about three years now, a little over three years, so that was kind of my first two years. And I think we kind of spent some time really focusing on what the opportunity was for us, and we came into this past year with uh, some good business traction. And we also uh, set out uh, a few years ago to establish uh, kind of a category around connected planning. And so coming into the year, uh, we really had uh, that recognized as a new way of really kind of looking at planning. And so as I look back on this year, I'd say the major advancement of what we've been doing has been end-to-end -end planning. So really kind of taking that connected planning and really implementing more of an end-to-end -end planning. And as a result, we saw um, really some uh, fantastic opportunities come up over the past year from an end-to-end -end perspective. Um, you know, on the call last week, I mentioned one of the largest telecommunications company. You know, recently, just in January, uh, made a decision internally uh, to use Anaplan uh, for their end-to-end -end operational planning. And I think that's a further testament uh, to, I would say, the big progress that we saw this past year. And I think we saw this play out in a couple of different ways. First, um, I would say the partner ecosystem. Now, if you think about uh, the types of partners that we're working with, um, the GSIs and, and various boutiques, uh, they have come a long way in the past year. And, and I think the reason for that is they've realized in working with their clients, there's been a tremendous change in the rate and pace of, of just business and, and the change dynamics associated with that. And how they can respond to that change is critical. And when they think about end-to-end -end planning, that enables them an ability to do so. And that rate and pace really has accelerated, I would say, in the last few years. And these partners are also thinking about where the market is going. And, and, I, and I believe strongly, having spent a lot of time with them, that they're looking at the next five years, and they're seeing this accelerate at an increasing rate. And so they've been making significant investments in Anaplan. You know, in the past year, um, we have doubled uh, the number of partner engagements uh, that we've had, especially with the GSIs. Uh, they have also uh, made substantial investments 
uh, in their business. I mentioned last week that even in the fourth quarter alone, uh, we added or they added 500 Canaplan consultants uh, within the partner ecosystem, bringing that number to over 2,000, uh, which is quite impressive, especially with the, I would say impressive with where we are uh, in, as far as our stage of growth within Anaplan. The other thing I would say, uh, the second um, testament over this past year, is when they work and we work with them, with their customers and clients, they're looking at what we can do together to really kind of start to map in that end-to-end -end and how to leverage uh, some of the investments that they've made and kind of take it to the next level. And, and what we call, and they, our partners call, really establishing this middle office. Right, connecting the transactional systems in the back office uh, to being more of a, uh, like a system of insights rather than just a system of the record, and then also connecting with the front office. So, so they're, they're categorizing Anaplan with their clients in this middle office, this, this, this layer, this planning layer, which I think is uh, making a big difference. And also, uh, just recently, uh, they've come out, not only just Deloitte, but many of them, are starting to develop these solutions, what they call Anaplan Plus, Anaplan Plus SAP, Anaplan Plus Oracle, Anaplan Plus Salesforce, Anaplan Plus uh, Adobe, to really kind of wrap around this middle office with investments that these companies have made. And then the third point I would make, uh, kind of looking back at the last year, is the importance of this being not just a budgeting effort, but it being more of an operational Right, operational running the enterprise or connecting the enterprise uh, from an end-to-end -end standpoint. Well, that's a, that's a great overview, and, and you know, I think it's it's really apparent to uh, to investors. Obviously, you know, the investors are holding the stock as well as just investors in the room. Just the, the massive opportunity that's ahead of you guys. We, we, you know, when when we initiated, we um, estimated it something about 20 billion, which is you know clearly a, a staggering number of runway for you guys to go after. Um, but getting getting a little really you know a, a little bit tactical, and I presume a lot of people in the room are trying to figure out all the, all these same things. But um, you guys reported Q4 results um, last week, and uh, I think the the topic that comes up most often in my conversations with investors since then is, you know, what what were the changes that um, took place in Q4, and it's almost kind of like you have to separate the results from from the actual sales changes. Maybe help us, you know, um, uh, you know, take those two things separately sure. and, and walk us through them. So, so we've talked about over the last week. Um, if I look back over several months, uh, we made some leadership changes in the Americas. Um, we replaced some talent. Uh, we added to some talent. Partly, it's um, our evolution and kind of looking at these growth opportunities. We. Um, we, we are in a hyper-growth environment, so we're going to be always making changes. In this situation, uh, we probably underestimated the impact that these changes made within the organization, within the Americas, which then affected our ability to close in the time frame that we would have liked uh, a few large transactions. You know, part of what I just mentioned before, uh, some of the trend that we've been seeing is larger deals. And I think those larger deals uh, with some of the leadership changes um, did impact us in the fourth quarter, and we didn't perform the way I think we could have or should have. Um, right now, we're focused on looking uh, at what that is, uh, as we are now in the new fiscal year, and making sure that the sales teams um, have what they need to be effective, 
and we know it's going to take some time, you know, for them to kind of get themselves back, you know, working through this in Q1 and also in Q2. But I think we're there. I think we've got um, the, the team in place in the Americas, and we're moving forward. Got it. And maybe digging into um, a little bit of detail there, uh, the changes that were made in the Americas, were they personnel changes? Were they, uh, were they quota changes as far as, you know, how you go to, go to market? No changes as far as how we operate. Uh, it was leadership changes. It was just leadership change. Got it. And the, the, the timing of the changes, why make them in, in, in a Q4, right? Q4 is obviously a huge quarter for you guys, big enterprise uh, deals, rather than perhaps wait until Q1 when you have your, you know, some of the kickoff activities. So, you know, I would say um, being in a hyper-growth environment and scaling the company, you know, if I look back over the last few years, we made a lot of changes. Um, and, and as I look back, too, I think most of those changes, if not all, with this exception, were very successful. It enabled us to really uh, change the trajectory of the company and it allowed us to really engage with partners. In, in this uh, situation, uh, leadership changes, uh, just from a timing perspective and being ready to scale, were made in this uh, time frame. And like I said, we just underestimated the impact of those leadership changes probably the significance of the changes and then the impact of those changes, uh, which came apparent in the fourth quarter. Got it. And, and the, the changes and how it kind of correlates with, you know, deal slippage, right, is it that, you know, people weren't, um, you weren't there to, you know, kind of you know, put the final stamps on the deals and, you know, get the final approvals? And It comes down to whenever you have leadership, uh, when you can have, when you do have the leadership changes, the focus. Uh, can somewhat change and uh, a bit distraction. I would say it's more distraction than anything else. Got it. You know, a couple things I would say. I mentioned this last week. None of the deals have been lost. Right. Now I would say again, uh, when you're also working with larger deals, if I look at, um, we, we mentioned this recently, the top 25 deals for us uh, right now, from an ARR perspective, are in excess of three and a half million dollars. The top 10 deals for us are in excess of five million dollars. That's great, right? When you have larger transactions that tend to be more complex, we're going to have some variability. And I think that's important for us and also for the investment community to understand and appreciate. With those, it's goodness. But you could have variability from a quarter-to-quarter standpoint, either up or down, based on some of the timing of these transactions. So I think a combination of that, along with uh, a bit of lack of focus uh, related to some leadership changes, um, ended up... Uh, with the results that we had in Q4. Got it. But we, you know, the, the key thing I just want to say here, where we are at the moment, as I said, those changes are behind us. We're trying to get the team, the team is focused. We're now into New Year. We had a great kickoff in the beginning of February. And now we're off and running uh, as it relates to this, uh, this quarter and this fiscal year, fiscal year 21. But we want to kind of take it uh, in stride. We want to make sure the focus is there. We give the team uh, continued time to work through this. The large transactions that didn't close in Q4, we feel will close in Q1 and possibly into Q2. And we want to, again, give it some time in Q1 and Q2 for this to continue to play out. And I think that's a fair thing uh, for us or for me from a leadership standpoint, uh, again, to play into a lot of success and the opportunity that's out there. Got it. And uh, the, the deals that slipped, were they all new deals or did you also have some renewals in there? It was mostly new. I mean, the renewals, um, you know, the, the timing of renewals always can also affect variability. Right. But the renewals that we had in Q4, uh, no issues. Uh, we actually had the renewals. We had the expansions. 
so with more new transactions. And again, new transactions take much more focus right. and much more alignment from a leadership perspective. Got it. And then the, the other really you know, big piece that came out um, with the Q4 results was um, the, the departure of Mark Anderson. Um, can you give us a little bit of background you know, as to you know, why is he leaving? Um, you know, he's obviously you know, a, a well, uh, well-respected uh, sales leader in, in, in the world of software, has been doing it for a very long time. Um, you know, somewhat short stint um, at Anaplan. You know, what, what's, you know, what's the background? Um, simple is that um, he realized, uh, having spent the last uh, six, seven months at Anaplan, that um, you know, taking on a full-time role um, was not right for him at this time in his life. Uh, from the standpoint of coming in, uh, spending the time, I think he just realized, is kind of what he said to me, that uh, for personal reasons, this was just not the right time for a full-time commitment. Got it. And why, why not replace um, his, uh, his position with a new head of sales or chief revenue officer, or chief growth officer? So, I, you know, oh, going back to the last three years again, um, I, if you, if you know my background, uh, clearly working in finance in CFO roles, working in operations and COO roles, I've had a long history, 30-plus years, uh, especially over the last 10, 15 years, doing a lot of um, financial planning, operational planning, and I've made a significant number of contacts with former peers of mine um, in the industry, outside the industry. And over these three years, a big part of the role that I've had has been uh, engaging with CFOs, engaging with COOs, engaging with CIOs. And that's been a big part of my job. And I, I've spent a good amount of time in the Americas, uh, but also internationally, uh, making some of those connections primarily to really understand where they are in relating back to what I experienced when I was in those roles and figuring out with them how they would go on this connected planning journey. And I continue, uh, I plan to continue to do that. Um, and so I will continue to play an active role with customers um, as well as with the sales organization. So no change there. And I felt that the three leaders that I had for the Americas, for Europe, as well as for Asia Pacific were very experienced, very uh, good, strong leaders and ones that I think can take us to the next level. So I felt uh, I also didn't want to kind of bring in another set of change dynamics. As I said before, we've been through some of those leadership changes. Let's make sure the organization works that through and we can move on. Uh, we have good opportunity in front of us and we want to make sure we can address it. Got it. And, and the, the question also that comes up from time to time um, in my conversations with investors is, Okay, Mark Anderson came in. He brought a lot. You know, some of the people that he brought with him into the organization were were, were his his contacts. Um, if he leaves, does you know does that do anything to the people that he brought in, or are they you know? So, so, to, so to be honest, um, the only person that Mark brought in in the sales organization um, that worked with him in the past is one individual. Um, have we done hiring over the past six or seven months in the sales organization? Yes. The hiring that we've done has been more collective hiring, uh, meaning that several people in the organization uh, were part of that hiring process, including uh, our recruiting team. So I feel very comfortable that the decisions that were made what was kind of cross the organization based. And I think it's also individuals that came here, uh, came to Anaplan to join Anaplan, not necessarily to work with Mark. And so that's why I feel confident. And the person that he did bring, I mean, he's, he, he's been very effective in kind of getting integrated into uh, Anaplan, 
and shows a tremendous amount of enthusiasm about what he's doing, about what the company's doing, and also as far as the opportunity going forward. So I feel really good. I'm not, I don't anticipate uh, right now uh, seeing any exits associated with that. I know it's disappointing that, that Mark left, but again, I can't um, impact any personal decision and how he wants to balance uh, where he spends his time. Got it. Well, so, I mean, if we kind of just sum it all up, right, it certainly sounds like the, what happened in Q4 was a, almost like a one-quarter um, hiccup with, with the changes that you made, but the changes that you made are really meant to position the company for, for the next, you know, for, for this continuous growth. Right to you know potentially a billion dollars of revenue. Right, is that is that the right way for investors I, to think about I, it? I, yes, I would say that. I, again, changes uh, will be uh, consistent for us. I think, uh, like I said before, uh, most of the changes that we've made over the last couple of years have been very successful. Uh, we did have a little bit of a, a hiccup here, of course, uh, with these changes. I think we're in place right now uh, to move forward. We had a strong kickoff at the beginning of the year. I just want to make sure, again, caution for all of us, because it's caution for me and also for Dave, that we want to make sure the organization uh, can kind of work through uh, this in Q1 and Q2. And also, we want to make sure those opportunities, which did not close in Q4, we give some time to kind of work through in Q1 as well as Q2. Perfect. Um, well, so just maybe one, one last you know, highly tactical question, and I think it's a lot of uh, on top of mind for investors is, you know, everybody's watching the situation globally with with the virus. Um, as much as you guys, you know, just provided guidance, and we certainly don't expect any changes. But you know, how are you guys thinking about the situation? So I think, like everyone right now, we're monitoring this on. Uh, it's not even a weekly basis. This is a a, da a daily basis. And and the key for us, uh, Dave and I, and the rest of the leadership team, is to stay as, as connected as we can uh, with various other sources, other companies and what they're doing, how they're dealing with it, especially larger companies, uh, and also from the standpoint of um, uh, customers. Um, we, like everyone else, uh, are still going to be monitoring this. Uh, we don't know to the full extent of what this may turn out to be. You know, our, our guidance that we provided last week uh, for the full fiscal year does not take into consideration any associated changes uh, around the coronavirus. Uh, because like, like all other companies, uh, we're constantly assessing and trying to determine uh, what this uh, impact may be over a longer period of time. Got it. All right. Well, let's, 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 take, thing, let's um, uh, take things up a notch. Um, you didn't already? No, no, no. Well, no <laughs> not, not from an intensity standpoint, from a, uh, from a focus standpoint, right? Um, supply chain. Yep. Supply chain planning. Near and dear uh, to my heart. Supply. I, I, you, can, you, can definitely, you can definitely tell the excitement. Um, supply chain planning is uh, it's a big ticket item, right? Um, and when when you walk into a customer or prospects rather talking about supply chain, um, from the work that we've done, it almost feels like it's it's a slightly different um, engagement because there is an opportunity to actually replace something, um, like other systems that have budget dollars allocated, um, versus just you know typical type of uh, plan engagements where. Essentially, almost new budget needs to be carved out to bring Anaplan in. Um, what are you seeing out there for your supply chain product? And you know, moving forward, could your supply chain planning software really start to you know, replace some of the legacy supply chain tools out there? Um, Stan, I think this is a great question. Um, I, again, if I can compare and contrast, uh, three years ago when I walked into Anaplan, we weren't talking about supply chain. We were just kind of starting to scratch the surface. Now. Um, we're having significant conversations uh, with customers 
um, on their supply chain. Um, it goes back to what I said at the beginning. Uh, the rate and pace of change uh, in organizations has really accelerated. I mean, we go back to even thinking about the coronavirus, or we think about kind of what's going on this past year with tariffs, or we think about Brexit. Various things like that have caused businesses, and competitive environments, right, have caused businesses to have to react faster and have much more insight as to how they react. And when you combine the two of those, uh, and you think about where organizations have been in their supply chain. And I, I worked extensively when I was at my previous companies uh, in my kind of CFO, COO role, connecting into supply chain organizations. And so I have a lot of visibility there. But it's interesting that many companies are in a similar situation, which is the organizations as they stand today primarily are using spreadsheets and various homegrown solutions in supply chain, primarily. I was just with a, a COO uh, about a week ago um, talking with her about her supply chain, and she was very open with me to kind of say, Frank, you, you know the size and the complexity of our business. Let me just articulate to you what it takes for us to do what we do. It's just not sustainable if I think about this over the next five years. I need to come up with some alternatives, and that's why we were engaging with her and her team. So what we do is we go in there and we help them Think about an end-to-end -end supply chain solution within supply chain, but also a connection back into other aspects, especially from a finance standpoint. You know, one of our largest customers, um, which became one of our largest customers just two quarters ago, but we've been working with them for about two years now, they have 18 different business entities. We have worked with them uh, to implement Anaplan supply chain in those 18 business units and connecting those business units uh, back into finance to have a much more stream. This is a consumer goods company, and consumer goods, clearly, a lot depends on how efficient they can be in supply chain. So there, there have been a tremendous, and it even goes back to the other thing I was talking about as far as the connection that we have with partners. Right? Our, our large partners, the GSIs, they're bringing us into these opportunities because, one, there's a need, and two, there aren't any other solutions. There are, there are some point solutions. There are, you know, a continuation of spreadsheets and homegrown, but there's nothing that really kind of connects that process end to end, which is a great opportunity for us. So it's that complexity of, of and, and dealing with that and complexity, cost, uh, also response time and analytics. Analytics. It's sort of like how you know predictive analytics. How do I better predict what the outcome may be that would be best for me? Um, in, in delivering products right. into that market at the right time and with the right sort of products. It's, 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 the, it's the complexity and the strategic importance of supply chain to these companies um, that you know, from, from at least, you know, the, the, from the way you're, you're making it sound and from the work that we've done, um, it, it, that's why supply chain drives such big deals um, when you guys get into those engagements. Is, is, is that, if you were to you know, look at, you know, supply chain, sales planning, Workforce planning, the different you know, overlay solutions that you have on top of Anaplan, is supply chain, does it tend to generate the biggest types of you know, deals that you, that you could see? I, I, we're, you know, we're still, I would say a couple of things. One, we're earlier. It's, it's, it's generating uh, large opportunities. Let me put it that way. Right. Where we are in solving those opportunities, I'd say we're in the early stages which is goodness because we're starting to make that traction, and it also says there's even more opportunity going forward. 
The second point I would mention, which I think is important in supply chain, is that supply chain is not isolated to just the supply chain organization. There's so many CFOs that I talk to where, that are interested in the supply chain and what happens with supply chain. And they are also accelerating the attention of what gets done in supply chain within the organization. And then, therefore, they're also having the purse strings, too, having the ability to have larger engagements more extensively and being able to fund those and then having the connection back with partners. Got so they're, they're probably the most complex, they're large, the potential is there, but there's also, again, a strong connection into other parts of the business. Got it. Um, I'm going to throw out one question, then we'll see um, if there's anything in the audience. But um, Dave, maybe uh, let's, let's get you involved. Um, topic that, uh, you know, that also on, on a lot of investors' minds is, is billings, right? And, it's, and I realize you guys don't guide to billings, but, you know, the, uh, for better or worse, the, the, the stock trades on billings. Um, how could you help investors think about uh, billings coming into this year? Um, you know, cause it, it's, it, it's very volatile. And, and as much as Q1 is another potentially tough comparison from the year before, Q2 gets easier, Q3 really tough one, Q4 uh, very easy comp. Um, how should investors think about that? No, I think you've characterized it appropriately that we have seen a lot of variability um, even over the past year, I mean, our FQ1 billings was upwards of 57%. Right. FQ2 is down to 46. FQ3, 59. And even though our underlying performance was really good, you still had those 10-point, 15-point swings. And so for us, we continue to focus on over the next four quarters in the long term and just remind everybody because of that variability, um, that's, that's where, even in our prepared remarks, we continue to point and orient uh, folks to. I'd also, so that's one thing. The other thing to think about, too, is it really gets back to our whole selling motion. And, and the real why and the communication on the why that is, is our selling motion is very at, at tops down. It isn't the bottoms up. There aren't, you know, regular renewals as we, as we go out into the market. Um, we're in a new connected planning category. Um, we're within this longer-term venture that everybody articulates in and around um, uh, data modernization or transformation. And so when you start thinking about longer-term opportunities like that, there's really no beginning, middle, or end. And so that's where you're starting to see more and more of this variability, and even as these lands and even expands become larger. And so that's where you still start seeing more of these ebbs and flows, of which well, we're going to continue to try to reinforce that and further educate why our selling motion is so much more different than some of the others that can continue to post up these hyper-growth uh, numbers. And the only thing I would add to that, too, uh, there's this great uh, response, is you know, as, as we think about this variability that I mentioned, the ups and downs, it, it's important to kind of look at the, you know, the, the line, right? And, and we still, if you look back at last year, we had ex extremely, Dave mentioned the quarter by quarter, we had in the range of 44% growth, right? right? So the opportunity is there. And even as we think going forward, we want to make sure the ups and downs will be there, but over the trajectory, we're, we're moving in the right direction to really kind of play into the opportunity that's there. Perfect. Um, well, uh, we are running a little bit short on time, but let's see if there are any questions in the audience. Could, could you just go back to what transpired in the quarter? I mean, maybe maybe you could characterize it as this was the structure of the sales force. 
here are the changes that happened and how that led to the billings result. So, um, so I'm going to talk about Americas because that's kind of where um, most of the changes occurred. Um, if you think about where we were at the beginning of the year, uh, we, we had about two. It's sort of like you have an Americas uh, leader, uh, and then you have another layer of leaders. We call them AVPs, Area Vice Presidents. And those Area Vice Presidents have a certain territory uh, within the Americas that they have responsibility to. So we had two at the beginning of the year. We ended the year with five, uh, just to kind of give you the magnitude. So in that situation, uh, as I said before, uh, we did a replacement, and then we also did some additions. Um, coming over the last couple of months is where most of those changes are. Again, to position a leadership team to take on more opportunity. Leaders coming into the organization, um, and this is where, as I said before, we underestimated uh, the true impact that a change in those leaders made in the Americas during that time frame and caused a bit of focus, uh, lack of focus, on specific large transactions that we had uh, planned uh, to kind of work through in the quarter. The complexity, the size, and the change kind of coming together uh, is really what uh, drove the, let's say, lower performance than we would have liked. So, so was it like those new leaders were pushing, pushing them towards smaller transactions that could happen more quickly, or? No. It's just, it, as I said, the only way I can describe it is just a, cha a focus, right, from the standpoint, having all that change in place, new leaders coming in, trying to work some of these things out, change in some of the direction as far as how to play the certain transaction caused a little bit of, you know, work, working that through. Again, as I said before, no transactions have been lost. Uh, we're working through those transactions in Q1, and we'll continue to kind of work them through Q2. And, and as I said before, it's, it's just a matter now of giving the organization time to, you know, accept leadership changes, accept we're now into a new year, kind of focusing on those transactions and more, and just letting that play out. And so we just want to be, you know, a little more working with the team to make sure uh, they can get through that uh, in the first half. And, and if I might just add one more, the shifting the focus from those accounts that, that were exciting, was that due to a change in incentive or a change in playbooks or? No. In uh, fiscal year 20, we did not change incentives. We did not play, change playbooks. We did not change organization structure. No, no changes uh, from that perspective. So it was like a judgment uh, thing. Uh, more, more of that. And, and as I said, we, we, we want to make sure that we, you know, if I look back, right, we didn't execute I mean, I just sum it up as this, because we can talk about this uh, extensively. Uh, we just didn't execute. It's simple as that, right? So now we have to get, make sure things are in place, which we feel we have, to kind of move forward and still work through on behalf of our customers and also working with our partners uh, to ensure that we close those opportunities and continue to deal with the pipeline of additional opportunities that we have in front of us. Thank you. All right. Well, I think uh, we're unfortunately out of time. Okay. Uh, but, gentlemen, thank you so much thank uh, you, for thank you all. morning. Appreciate it. Thanks. <clears throat> thank you. Thanks, Dan. I really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Are you joining for um, any one-on-ones? Were you able to? Hi.